You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 71, and we are going to be talking about Wild Nights with Emily. Emily Dickinson, that is. It came out in the year 2018, and the writer and director is Madeline Olnick. It stars Molly Shannon as Emily, Susan Ziegler as Susan Dickinson, Amy Cements is Mabel, Brett Gelman is Thomas Wentworth Higginson, and Jackie Monahan as Lavina. It was mostly filmed in Amherst, or the setting is 1860 Amherst, Maryland. It was filmed in New York City, Brooklyn, and Greenwich, Connecticut. The synopsis of this film is it's a dramatization of a little known side of the writer Emily Dickinson's life, in particular her relationship with another woman. It did not have a tagline and something very important to know when watching this because it does kind of have the Madeline was a fan of drunk history and it kind of has a little bit of a drunk history feel it was originally performed as a play by the film's director who extensively researched with the support of harvard university press and the guggenheim foundation the facts in it and so what could come off as a little bit of tongue-in-cheek or maybe even embellished or made up she wants audiences to know are very much steeped in fact because researchers discovered that lavina was trying to get Emily's poems published. And as they were written, she knew that she couldn't because at the time there was another poet who was writing more rhyming poetry and Emily's wasn't. And then Emily was speaking of her relationship with Susan, which Lavina knew that would not fly either. So she erased a lot of Emily's work. And thanks to technology, they were able to I don't know with what technology, but they were able to realize that those were erasures and that she was talking about Susan when Lavina put in that she was maybe talking about a, a male character. I, I think it's possible, but one, one technique I have seen is if you look at it at really high magnification, you can see the indentation of the original text. Even mm-hmm. if the, the graphite has been erased, you can still see the dents in the paper at, at, at a very high level of magnification. And I've watched some film festival interviews with Molly and Madeline and the other actors. And I didn't know this, but Emily Dickinson was sold to audiences as like this spinster and that she didn't want her poems published. And she was just kind of this sad figure that wore black and just kind of stayed inside all day. And in fact, through this discovery of this technology and reading the poems and they discovered that, no, that's none of that, in fact, was true. She wanted her stuff published. She was a very vivacious person. She loved to go out and party, maybe. <laughs> Just they didn't like who she was partying with. Right. But, it was a lavender party. And, and she had a love interest. It was her, unfortunately, it was her brother's wife. So that helped for proximity, but probably not for the family reunion. <laughs> it made it a little bit awkward. It was a little awkward. Yeah, there was a line in there where I think it's her, Susan, her lover says, it is quite normal for sisters to spend many hours alone in each other's company. And I thought that was an interesting way that two apparently real life people contrived 
Like, no, no one will suspect if it's my sister-in-law. Right. Yeah. So uh, before we get too much more into it, I just wanted to give that historical kind of reference point. But Mike, what is our pickup line for this film? Speaking of the life of Emily Dickinson and her famous reclusivity, too much has been made of late of Emily Dickinson's girlhood friendship with her brother's wife, Susan, the daughter of a tavern keeper. Aha. So they just kind of call it out right there so that everybody knows what the film is about. Right. And I I have to say, referring to both what the film is about as well as the feeling of drunk history, I would say there's more than a little bit feel of drunk history. It feels like an elongated episode of drunk history to me. Mm -hmm. And so if you like this that comic style right you're fine but just be be aware it was kind of an interesting choice to go that way but i was i didn't feel like it it had a like a closure i wasn't exactly sure what happened in the story like where where did we go from and to it felt to me it was i was a little confused about kind of that the narrative of the film well in in listening to these different panel discussions and, and having watched the film, I would say where we started is exactly what you just said, that there was this opinion of her that was one way. And I think that Madeline wanted to show that that, that wasn't correct, that people literally rewrote history or erased it and rewrote it, right? And so she wanted to show Emily's true life and that it was full of life. It was full of love. It was well-rounded kind of she did want her stuff published. She wasn't just kind of what they had made her out to be. And I think we saw that throughout the movie that that she had this relationship with Susan and she was always writing and, and kind of moving through life. And then like even when she died, Susan is the person that was there with her. So I think that was what the arc was. Yeah, I guess, as you said that, in some sense, despite the fact that it has the feel and and, and humor of, of drunk history, mm-hmm. if I looked at it as just a documentary, kind of like drunk history, right? Drunk history isn't telling you a story. They're kind of relating a historical incident. So from that perspective, okay, that makes a bit more sense if that was kind of the goal, mm-hmm. is it was almost like a, a retelling, a reenactment, mm-hmm. a humorous reenactment of basically a 90-minute documentary about Emily Dickinson. Right. Okay. I did not learn. I knew the name, but I couldn't tell you like this whole both Molly and Madeline spoke. Madeline and I believe the character who portrayed Lavina, who was the one that kind of rewrote history. She was obsessed with the actress was obsessed with Emily Dickinson when she was in college and she would quote her all the time. In fact, when Madeline told her I'm doing a a movie about Emily Dickinson, she started quoting Emily Dickinson back to her and she was like, oh, you're not going to be Emily. You're Molly Shannon's going to be Emily. (laughs) Son of a. And because Molly and Madeline went to NYU drama school together. In fact, Madeline is the one who is responsible for Mary Catherine Gallagher. Oh, wow. Yeah. She, they were, they were doing a comedy show and here Molly was going to school to be a drama student, like a drama actor. Right. And she did this comedy showcase in which they were supposed to come in with a character and Madeline played the director that would ask them to do just like crazy, silly things. So she came in, Molly came in as Mary Catherine Gallagher and then Madeline just started telling her to do all these crazy things like smelling her armpits and, you know, jumping around and doing a handstand and all these crazy, you know, bizarre things that she did. 
And it killed so much that people told Molly, you need to go to SNL. Interesting. I'd heard that Will Ferrell originally was actually going to be like a sportscaster, but he doesn't consider himself a comedian. Mm -hmm. right? And I remember Jeffrey Tambor said, the key to comedy is earnestness. The character must really intently believe the ridiculous thing that they're doing. So maybe that, that she was able to, to translate a bit of that dramatic training into that earnestness, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. maybe makes the character of Mary Catherine Gallagher work. Yep. I liked the different uses of kind of breaking the fourth wall, the uses of the subtitles. And what did you think of that as a either editing or kind of a certain aspect of cinematography, which kind of does have a drunk history feel? Yeah, I I mean, there are there are points of it that are, you know, really well made. As far as the cinematography, I think there's a a two shot early in the film of Emily and Susan walking young versions after the Shakespeare. And I thought that was shot very well. But in general, I'm a little bit conflicted on the drunk history field because I do enjoy drunk history, but those are shorter segments and they're really not about informing, right? They're, They're more just about pure comedy. They're watching a comedian get drunk. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and, and then re- the history is just kind of the right. It's it's the prop for them to get something wrong. But mm-hmm. so I was a little bit torn because I kind of felt like it landed a little bit between the two. It wasn't quite a comedy. It wasn't quite a documentary. Mm-hmm. I think I wasn't exactly sure how how to take it, but I did like the the gag where the the cat was just a stuffed animal. That was kind of funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> very drunk history, but very funny. Yes, they said there are a lot of historical inaccuracies and, and anachronisms abound throughout the film in costuming sets, props. It's not necessarily intended to be a faithful period piece. And one notably accurate detail, though, is Emily's unshaven legs in the next to the last scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Someone was uh, recently discussing, I think it was the Sam Elliott miniseries 1883, Mm -hmm. but it was something like that. And they said, yeah, shaving of legs and armpits occurred incredibly recently. For us, it is considered, you know, standard, but it really is a relatively new thing. Mm -hmm. So that would be that would be accurate, I suppose. Now, if we had super fan and costume designer Miriam Mm -hmm. available, she could probably break down all of the the wardrobe Anachronisms. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that the person who portrayed Lavina did a great job at just being this like, I actually, it's interesting because I thought of her as an opportunist. Yeah, she comes across like that. Who was basically could not create something to kind of that was her own. So she was co-opting Emily's work because it quote unquote didn't get published. And so she was going to take it and get it published. And it was interesting to hear the filmmaker and the actor talk about it. And they were saying that she actually, because a lot of Emily's works didn't get published for different reasons, people liked the rhymey poems like, you know, this isn't poetry. This is just probably like prose or something. They just didn't feel that there was another author at the time. I was going to say her name, but I and she was getting much more notoriety. 
And so what they, how they sold it was that Lavina actually, like Emily's poetry wouldn't be seen if it wasn't for Lavina making the corrections and getting it out there. So I thought that was interesting that they saw it differently than at least it came off to me that she wasn't an opportunist. She was propelling it, let's say. So, I mean, I suppose you could argue that a person, a character could could want to save Emily from herself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, sweetie, you would look so much better if you just put your hair up this way. Mm-hmm. So uh, that can be, certainly in this film, I felt like Lavinia came across as an opportunist. But it is an interesting relationship because she is basically having a romantic relationship with Emily's brother, who is technically married to Susan, but Susan's having a romantic relationship with Emily. Right. So it was all kind of a little bit of a muddled love parallelogram. Was it a very small town, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I did notice, speaking of of that, though, for sets, is they found two 19th century homes right next to each other. Because there's, you know, part of a plot point is they would run from house to house. Right. Or be able to see the other house from the window. So they had to get two that looked like they were, you know, at least cinematically of the right era, right next to each other. Right. But there was a point in time when Lavinia was standing someplace and I thought you could see that she was like standing on a modern sidewalk and then behind the bushes was like a a regular asphalt road, which I I thought they did for comic effect. Right. Quite possible. Quite possible. Well, so this one is going to be a little bit smaller of an episode, but this week you get a bonus episode. So we will give you more time to listen to that. And super fan RJ told me that he has many thoughts on Wild Nights with Emily. So that portion of the bonus episode will probably feature to be a little bit more. And so stay tuned for that. It will probably just be labeled bonus episode and it'll drop at the same day that this one drops. So shall we go into our, was there head trauma? Did you notice any? I had no note of head trauma. Okay. Do we have a smooch? We have quite a few smooches. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. I would think. Consulting my notes. Between Emily and Susan. A young Emily kisses a young Susan at 10.56 to prove a point. Mm -hmm. And at 11.48, once Emily's parents have gone, the snogging ensues. (laughs) There is implied passion, but no visible smooching later in the film. Right. They're in bed together a handful of times to show that. And they're often just chatting kind of like a couple does Mm post-coital, kind of just talking about life. Yeah, yep. And then, uh, since this was in 1860, probably no driving review? There were no motor vehicles, and uh, (laughs) they didn't have any wagons or carriages either. So, no driving review. All right. So, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. All right. Wild Nights with Emily came out in 2018. The budget was less than $100,000. So, we had a conversation, I believe we paused it, or maybe it was after we watched this, that it very much could be an indie film. And I would say with that budget, it very much classifies as an indie film, with the exception of maybe some notable cast members. On IMDb, it got a 6.2 out of 10. And I kind of get that because, you know, I, th- I think this a specific audience would like this. Critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes at 89%. And the audiences, not quite as much at 56 which i believe is is barely fresh is yeah that's that's pretty i gotta look yeah. what is if 60 percent is fresh i can't remember the it's about just an hour and 24 minutes so if you're kind of curious after hearing us talk about it or after hearing superman rj talk about it in a bit it's rated pg-13 it's labeled as a comedy history so mike pointed out this is not a rom-com and he's right it made about 519,000 oh. so 
5X. Good yeah, job. Yeah, they did a great job. And it won the U.S. in Progress Award at the Champs-Élysées Film Festival. And Molly won for Best Actress at the Film Out Festival in San Diego. And it got many, many, many other nominations. And it played at a lot of different film festivals based on the number of Q&As that I was able to watch. So I think after hearing us talk about it, and like I said, in the next episode or our next bonus episode, if you, you know what you like, what RJ has to say, give it a li- give it a watch. It's available on Hulu. So if you subscribe to that, it's included in your subscription. And I guess never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christian Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 